Schmidt, the daughter of Herbert and Lucille Benningsdorf, was born on August 24, 1935, in Denison, Iowa. She grew up in Charter Oak, Iowa, and was baptized and confirmed into the Lutheran faith. Ruth was a faithful member of the St. Paul Lutheran Church of Ida Grove, Iowa. She was active in her church circle and Dorcas Society, helping make many quilts. On December 13, 1954, Ruth was united in, into marriage to Earl Schmidt in the St. Paul Lutheran Church of Ida Grove, Iowa. To this union, four children were born, Merle, Sherry, Cheryl, and Colleen. Ruth took pleasure in being a homemaker and running her, running her in-home daycare for 20 years. She treasured spending time with her family and going to Monday morning coffee club. Ruth enjoyed flower gardening, puzzles, dancing, watching and feeding her birds, camping and traveling. Ruth's kindness will be remembered by all the lives she touched throughout her life. Ruth was preceded in death by her parents Herbert Benningsdorf, husband Earl Schmidt, brothers Gary Benningsdorf, and Robert Bob Bettingsdorf, sister Doreen Wonder, grandchild Sarah Schmidt, sister-in-law Marlene Bettingsdorf, and brother-in-law Leroy Wonder. And you can read the rest. It's a little bit of a list there. The text for the sermon this day is taken out of that reading from John you heard a little bit ago. These words, it says, Let not your hearts be troubled, Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? That's the text. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. First, let's. I'm going to take a little step on to back to look at this text. When Jesus says this, it's very important to understand it, to give perspective. 
Jesus says this on the eve of his arrest, on the eve of his crucifixion. He's telling this to his disciples, knowing what is about to happen. That they are going to desert him. That he is going to be arrested. That he is going to be betrayed. That he is going to go through a horribly unjust, unjust trial. That Peter is going to deny him three times. And that he is going to be crucified and die. He knows that they're going to come to that empty tomb, not knowing why it's empty, thinking that the body has been stolen. He knows that when even after they hear the reports that they are going to doubt that he had risen. And he knows that once they come to terms with the resurrection, and as they go about the world telling people about who he is, proclaiming the gospel, that they will be hated, They'll be persecuted, and most, all, most of them will be put to death for this reason. All with the exception of John, who writes this gospel, died on account because they were a Christian. John was forced to live on a prison island up until his death. And so these words would be so precious to them. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Those words for his disciples are words for you. They are words for anyone in the midst of grief. Ruth was born into, rumor has it, a pretty decent-sized family. I have, to, I have to comment that this morning, I came, I was here before I got robed up. The, you know, the narthex was filled with people. I go robe up and I come out, I'm like, where'd everybody go? And I didn't, didn't know everyone went downstairs. Because I, I went through there, I'm like, nobody's here, nobody's out here. Did, you know, did Jesus come? <laughs> or whatever. But anyways, <laughs> um, I was, anyways, but... One, a child that, of one of what would eventually be ten siblings. She was born pretty, from, I, was, I was told this story by her and then reaffirmed, it was reaffirmed last week or this past Sunday, that she was born, when she was born, she was pretty tiny. They put her in a sh little shoebox, put her on the, the windowsill to keep warm in the sun, Apparently, medical technology has changed a little bit since then, but it worked. And she, lit, she was pretty strong for most of her life. Very little health problems for much of her life. And I imagine growing up with that big family, it was probably overflowing in the house. And I, it's easy to imagine that there's probably many mornings like, I need to use the bathroom or whatever that... Or if it was an outhouse, I don't know if there was, but whatever it was at what time it was. But there's probably many, come on, I need to use it. And probably every meal felt like a, felt it was almost like Thanksgiving because you had ten people there at times. And so with such a big family and living a life where she's 
had very small health problems, very few major health issues. September was a, was a major hit in the gut. When that news came, it rattled her core, and it rattled the core of a, a very large family. The news that she may have cancer and eventually it was affirmed. You hope for the best, hope that she would get stronger, but you watch as her health slowly deteriorated. She became weak and frail up to the point of her death last Friday morning. Those, so those words again of Jesus, let not your hearts be troubled, Believe in God, believe also in me. See, the reason I picked this little te this text is, you know, talking of a large family. In my father's house are many rooms, which, by the way, I'm going to let you know that the ink, I don't like the new translations on that. Anybody remember how it's, anybody know how it's said in the King James? In my father's house are many mansions. Much better. The reason why we tend to get it translated as rooms is because we read the word house, we think, oh, house, that's the place I live. Rather, you should actually read it as house, like um, if any of you are, if ever read things like Lord of the Rings or any of those medieval fantasy type stories, you know that they talk about, like, this is the house of um, a seal door or this if, house of baggins, if anybody knows Lord of the Rings. So in other words, is that the house refers to the family. So the house, in my father's house, so it's talking about the family of my father is many mansions. So in other words, which this is actually pretty sweet. I'll get back to that. Because you see, many years ago, Ruth was brought to the baptismal font. And the pastor said over her, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. On that day, she was made a member of the, our Father's house. A member of God's family. A child of God. An heir of paradise. See, the one who suffered and died on the cross in her behalf... He poured out his grace and mercy upon her on that day. Because her, like all of us, was born in sin. She was born spiritually dead, as we all are. The reason we are here today is because of sin. Not because of a specific sin, but because of the sin that entered into the world through Adam and Eve. It's because of that that death exists. It's because of that that death persists. Is that reason why typically, hopefully not, when you come to a funeral you don't hear, hopefully the pastor doesn't give you a hellfire and brimstone sermon because you don't need to hear it. The law is right there. That's the law speaking to us. Because it's the destiny of all of us on account of our sin. But in baptism, which I don't know if you noticed this so far, in the service so far, there's been a lot of mentions of baptism already. 
It mentioned it at the very beginning. The invocation is a call to baptism. Right before we said the Apostles' Creed, we said, you heard, God has made us his people through our baptism into Christ. And then we confessed the creed that was confessed at her baptism. And so she was made a child of God on that day. She received eternal life on that day. And throughout her life, as she, she faithfully attended church, she heard God's word, she received the Lord's Supper, the body and blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of her sins. All throughout it, he was keeping her strong, keeping her strong in his family, in his house. And he kept her on this earth for the purpose of making sure to raise up her children, grandchildren, to serve those who are in her family, that they too may know of the love of Jesus. Till the day that came that she breathed her last breath, last Friday morning. But when she breathed that last breath on this earth, there's a hymn that wonderfully examines what, I can't think of the name of the hymn off the top of my head at the moment, but wonderfully illustrates what happens. When she breathed that last breath on earth, in that room in Willowdale, she breathed within a moment, within the twinkling of an eye, she breathed her first breath of the Holy Spirit in eternity. She heard, her ears opened up, and she heard the song of angels singing music that no mortal ear has ever heard. It is better than any top 40 hit. She heard it. And she felt, and the next thing, she felt the warm embrace of Jesus holding her, welcoming her into heaven. And her eyes would open to see God himself smiling down on her, and knowing that the reason why this, uh, this embrace, the reason for the smile, for the reason for the singing, is because the angels are celebrating that she's there. They're singing for the victory of Jesus, which is hers. And she's surrounded by that. And so she opens the eyes, she sees God, but she also looks around and realizes, as big as this family is, the family that she inherited in baptism is very big. Remember when we, last Thursday, the last scripture reading we heard was from Revelation 7. That host arrayed in white, thousand snow-clad mountains bright. I know that's actually the hymn, but based off of that text. But a multitude that no one can number, coming out to the great tribulation. And that's a great detail in Revelation 7. It says that they are coming out of the great tribulation. It's not they came, coming, meaning it's an ongoing process. So when you go, perhaps if you'd like to, when you go home, pull out a Bible, sit there, read Revelation 7, and know when you read about that multitude that no one can number, wearing robes of white, which by the way, why pastors wear this? Preview of coming attractions. 
There is a, there is a whole multitude that are going to be wearing robes of white, which includes all those who die in the faith. This is a reminder of what is in store for you. That's why we had that Paul right on the casket. To remind you that she is wearing a robe of righteousness. A white robe that is clean, washed in the blood of Jesus. Where there is no hunger, no thirst, no scorching heat, no blistering cold, you know, no 50 below wind chill. No blizzards, nothing. No tear, no grief. And by the way, when she saw that multitude, you know who was included in there? Earl. Her parents, Herbert and Lucille, are in that multitude. Beyond measure. That is the family, the, king, the family of God, which she was ushered into, which we are all ushered into at our baptism. We are all made a member of it. When we hear God's word being told to us every week, it is like family hearing the old stories of their family, hearing the stories of their father, and your father as children of God is God. So we hear of his story just as families do. And we come, and just what do families do? You have big old meals. Did you have any big meals? Good ones? She's got an even better meal right now. Did, I don't know if you noticed that in that Old Testament reading. It says, on this mountain, so this is speaking of where she is. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. A, a feast that no one can even begin to imagine. See, every time we come to the Lord's Supper, and by the way, this is, I say this most funerals, is that when you miss somebody who has died in the faith, the very best place to go visit them is at the Lord's Supper. Right before the Lord's Supper, you hear these words, Therefore the angels and archangels of all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify your glorious name, evermore praising you and saying, you ever heard those words before? She is in the company of heaven. When you sing holy, 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 you are singing it with her. She's probably on a better tune than us, but she is singing the same words. And when you receive the Lord's Supper, you are getting about a taste of the grand banquet in which she is celebrating. But here's where it gets even a little even better. You see, she is, even though she is in heaven, she is waiting for something even better greater. One of my professors at the seminary used to say, when you die, when you're Christians, when they die, they go to heaven, but don't get, don't worry, that's not the end of the world. Because there's something even better coming. I talked about this last week at the, at Willowdale, is that if, when you go to the cemetery, if you decide to go out there this afternoon, or this morning, 
I want you to think of it, it's kind of a little bit like a slumber party. Have you ever noticed, because in the Bible, Jesus, whenever the Bible talks about Christians dying, it does not ever say that they're dead. It says they're sleeping. Those who are asleep in the faith. So think for those of you who've ever had a, a slumber party. I'm going to use kind of my generation version of it, because that's what I can speak to. You know, you have on Friday night, you usually, you know, at the end of the school week, you're hanging out with all your friends. You go to Chuck E. Cheese or whatever. You play games. You have pizza. Then you go home, watch a movie, play some video games, go to sleep about 2 or 3 in the morning. And then, some point in the next day, your mom or your dad come into the room and say, Hey, you've been sleeping all day. Get up. Well, there's going to be a day that comes that Jesus is going to walk through the cemeteries where the faithful are sleeping. They're sleeping, recovering from the party of this life. And, say, and he'll say to them, wake up. Ruth, wake up. That body, he's going to say, wake up. And sh that body will rise. Strong, though you, last time you saw her, she was brittle and weak. The next time you will see her, she is going to be strong. And I mean stronger than she has ever been on this life. So strong that she wanted to, she could do backflips. I don't know if she could ever do that in this life, but if she could, she gets to do it again. If not, first time. And that's what all of us have waiting. All who die in the faith await the bodily resurrection. And what is in store for us is not a bunch, just a few rooms. And that's where I like that, that when the translation goes, in my father's house are many rooms. That, that could, many rooms, that could mean you get the super eight, or it might be just another Willowdale. That doesn't sound exciting. Nothing against them. I'm sure they do great work. But nobody wants, nobody says, I can't wait to go to the nursing home. No, you get a mansion. God doesn't go cheap. He gives you the absolute best. He is giving you the mansion of the king of kings. For when she was baptized, when you are baptized, you are made a member of the house of the king of kings, lord of lords. And you, when you breathe your last breath, will enter into the mansion, one of the many mansions he has prepared for you. And you'll see just how awesome and amazing is the family of God. And so you look at the family amongst you, you are seeing a foreshadowing. This is a shadow of the great things that you have in store for you, of which Ruth sees now. In Jesus' name, amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, keep you in the one true faith to life everlasting. Amen. Please stand.